this summer is a harbinger to where we're going. So, you know, this is not a problem that's going to go away. It's totally unacceptable that we don't have basic data for knowing what, you know, how many people are getting sick and how many people are dying. This has to be fixed. We've been told in story after story that this past July and August were the hottest on earth since record keeping began, but how has this extreme heat been impacting real people? Medical anthropologist Rose Jones argues that due to political and public health failures, we actually know very little. Medicine, she says, prides itself on being evidence-based, but when it comes to the heat, we're largely flying blind. Rose, uh, it's great to um, to see you. It's great to see you again. Uh, and you're, I felt like your presentation in San Marcos was my first exposure to you and your work uh, was tremendous. It was, in my opinion, kind of the the message. Anybody going in concerned about climate working in Texas right now, especially, is the message people needed to hear. And for many reasons, and we're going to kind of get into that by unpacking some of those uh, key messages. But um, I thought, you know, your opening was essentially, you know, that the message that 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 heat impacts everything uh, and not just, you know, our, our every organ in our body, our mental health conditions, you know, everything. Uh, and yet we collectively as a data driven society really have no idea how it's doing that because it's, that information isn't being collected well or understood well. And I'm wondering and I think the term you termed uh, related to surveillance in the medical community, uh, you, you, the term you used in a follow-up email was train wreck. So I'm wondering if you could kind of go over the problem of surveillance, first of all, so folks know um, maybe like, you know, exactly like the, the the problem with extreme heat and the challenge of surveillance. Sure. So um, there are major challenges with um, having a standardized approach to looking at heat-related mortality and morbidity. It varies from county to county, state to state, and again, at the federal level. So if you look at the numbers, depending on what study you're citing, the numbers, for example, for heat-related death, I believe last year were somewhere around 750, but other studies calculated as high as 10,000. Most experts in this field agree, yes, it's a problem, um, that needs to be sorted and err on the side of the higher number for mortality. And by the way, this is excluding data from this summer, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So one of the things that needs to, uh, I mean, this is not riveting news to the medical community. They're aware of it for the most part. There, there have been some efforts very recently, so we're way behind the eight ball on this, to begin looking at these problems. So for example, in July, I believe, um, federal government um, issued data through a surveillance EMS data so that that's going to be hopefully more accurate because we'll be using, you know, first responders data as they, you know, as they respond to calls specific for heat. Um, other issues are much more challenging. For example, you know, we have this whole problem with prisoners and mortality and morbidity with heat. And um, those are not numbers that we have, I have any confidence in. We're still waiting for some of the reports to come in. And in some cases, there is a complexity. If, in order to have a definitive diagnosis for um, heat-related death, for example, you need to take core body temperature, right? And so there's access issues for that that needs to be worked out as well. And the other issue that is um, embedded in the whole surveillance and how do we monitor it and, you know, 
what are the challenges is that there is some information that we just don't know. Um, and that's, again, another issue of us being really way behind the eight ball in climate change and climate health and environmental health in general. So it's not that it can't be known, not that these are things that can't be known there. Historically, there just hasn't been funding for this type of research. There hasn't mm -hmm. been training. I mean, the last data that I looked at for medical school in terms of offering coursework um, it was anywhere from 6% six percent of medical schools in the United States up to 24, some cited 50. But most of that data was collected um, through surveys on a voluntary optional basis. And more importantly, of the data for that suggests that there's been an increase in offering courses on environmental health at medical school level, we know that you know those are elective courses, and typically they're first-year students, right? So there's a there's a disconnect in terms of the training that we do, the medical knowledge, and then this dearth of data, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, a study was just an empirical study, valid, um, great study was released a couple of weeks ago, and it showed that for women in their third trimester of pregnancy who had been exposed for three consecutive days of temperatures 95 degrees and above, there was a 27% increase of life-threatening labor complications, including you know, blood disorders and sepsis. So here's a case where, okay, we've got new knowledge. We didn't know that before. And so if you had a woman come in with you know, labor complications, you're not thinking that because you don't know, you haven't been trained, you, don't, you haven't had that experience, we didn't have that data. So I've had several, I had an OB-GYN physician recently say to me, and you know that's just one example. There are lots of other ways in which heat is mitigating, in this case, um, pregnant persons. And I had an OB-GYN say to me, um, wow, how many cases did I miss? I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, again, part of the story. Mm -hmm. um, so some of the work that's being done, um, and I'm not a statistician that really does sort of fall within their domain, but there's some... Um, there's some interesting work being done in terms of how we can use statistics to get a better handle on what mortality and morbidity looks like. It needs to be standardized. There needs to be training. And, you know, for that, we need funding. So mm -hmm. again, to recap the problems with mortality and morbidity, and I might add as, add as a side note, this is important because if you're not counting it accurately, you're not mm -hmm. addressing it. That right. Yeah, right. I mean, that's the point of all this. Is if we don't understand what's going on, we can't improve conditions because yeah. what you're mentioning right now, like, I, I mean, we kind of started the conversation kind of counting the bodies, right? Thinking along those lines. But you're, you know, what you're saying is if we don't understand heat impact, then we can't protect people who, you know, have an opportunity, you know, to survive, you know, in spite of exposure. Because surveillance will lead to screening, right? Yeah, you right. Know, that's how it should be done. So in a nutshell, what we have with mortality, morbidity, heat related is we have a dearth of missing information, knowledge gaps. We have problems with training. It's just not being done. If you're not trained to do mm -hmm. it, you know, it's not on mm -hmm. your radar. And then in addition to that, we have this whole hodgepodge way in which these this data is currently being collected. So, mm -hmm. and, you know, as a, as a related point, Greg, and I know you know this, I'll just point out that mm -hmm. this is inherent. This is why we refer to climate change and climate crisis as a wicked problem. Mm -hmm. Problems where we're not just going to have, oh, let's let's start counting bodies like this, for example. Right. It's mm -hmm. much more complicated than that.
Yeah, and 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 as you know, I mean, we've been writing here at Deceleration about um, Albert Garcia, and he's a, an unhoused neighbor of ours. You know, we spent uh, my partner Marisol Cortez worked with a team of folks inside and outside of local government, volunteers, and agencies uh, for a year. You know, to get him housed somewhere because he had all of these uh, conditions that made him difficult. Right to the providing networks. Uh, you know, he wasn't able to clean himself, right? He had disabilities, he had a drug, you know, a drug addiction, all these things. Uh, and he was elderly, you know, just these different issues. Um, and he ended up back on the street uh, with while making allegations of uh, improper uh, conduct by a caregiver. Um, and in my opinion, because the agencies did not respond with any kind of um, enthusiasm or urgency, uh, he died uh, with an, under a month uh, living under a bridge that I clocked at regularly uh, 115 degrees. It was one of the hotter pockets of downtown San Antonio uh, where he was visible and therefore felt safer as a disabled person. Um, but the interesting thing, you know, I just relate is, you know, I just got off the uh, call with the with a public information officer explaining to me how the medical examiner's office here, here works. So so Albert has died his 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 uh, best friend and camp buddy uh blames the heat uh this person themselves uh had says they had two cases of heat stroke that required ems response um and yet bear county is still counting zero uh cases of um heat uh related uh um uh deaths um and what i've learned is that the 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 medical examiner's office they won't they they the medical examiner says they as a scientist as a researcher as a medical professional don't feel they have the, the enough data to determine that any case is related to heat and so they may reference it in the aut autopsy reports but like if a county commissioner calls up and says what's going on with heat they don't have the resources that what they are they're trying they're still trying to get a forensic anthropologist to help them put bodies back together that are you know falling apart in the heat and the humidity so uh, I don't know where the data is coming from because everything that's passed along from the medical examiners up to the state uh, doesn't have um, a heat signature on it. Essentially, that's what I'm trying to figure out. So that's probably no surprise to you to hear that. It's no surprise to me. And, you know, my response to that would be, this is unacceptable. We have to fix this. And, you know, the context here is that, you know, medicine prides itself on being evidence-based medicine. And, and that's true for many of the disorders and, you know, issues that are that we address, but not for heat. That's not acceptable. We have to figure that out. Why? Not just because it's the right thing to do, but and it's going to provide funding so that we can get more data and, and, and help people that need to be helped. But the other underlying thing, this is about to get worse, right? This summer is a harbinger to where we're going. So, you know, this is not a problem that's going to go away. It's totally unacceptable that we don't have basic data for knowing what, you know, how many people are getting sick and how many people are dying. This has to be fixed. That's my response to that. Um, Thank you. One, it's very complicated. It mm -hmm. needs to be done at a high level. I mean, to me, this is something that you put together a task force of mm -hmm. experts in the field that come from various disciplines. You right. pull some NSA, uh, NSF money, some NIH money. This is a priority in that in my opinion, where public health needs to go for dealing with extreme heat. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And so when, when you were talking about this higher, this high, higher end number, 10,000 um, uh, deaths, you know, uh, a year are related to heat, right? Or heat, heat related deaths. Why do you, why are you persuaded 
to the to the to the larger figure rather than the smaller figure. Because I see where the holes are, right? You you provided an example of an individual. I see that over and over and over again. And when you have a system that's not consistent, not standardized, there that's not evidence based. There's no empirical framework for that. It, so I can't have reliability. And then I will add that the work, the higher level is really being used by statisticians to extrapolate, you know, what should the death rate look like in the summer mm -hmm. without these heat, right? And so mm -hmm. that seems very reasonable to me. Um, and again, mm -hmm. I also have looked at the data, which suggests that this is affecting every system in, in the human body, right? So yeah. the other thing, this is even more complicated, we haven't talked about it, but the, the other aspect are there are very likely aspects of heat that are impacting health and contributing to death that we're not going to measure, that we're not even close to. So we're we're excluding all of that. Um, so I think that it's reasonable. And especially you, if you look at the data in, in Europe, their mortality, morbidity data, the way that they're calculating it. Right. Much higher. Accurate. And um, so I look at that data and know that we can get there. And I also know that those numbers, I think last year they reported, not this year, I haven't, that data still has not been released. I think there were 66,000 confirmed deaths. Mm -hmm. um, and disproportionately high, by the way, uh, for women. This was last summer, 2022. Last summer, right. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, I digress. But I think that no, it's fine. if we don't, this is a starting point, right? We cannot... Mm -hmm help people. We cannot distribute resources. We can't move into the community unless we know what the challenge is. Mm -hmm. um, and the good news is I, I think that there is some effort, as I mentioned, the EMS data. I know of one professor here locally who's working to look at um, you know, ways in which to correlate ICD codes to ambient temperatures retrospectively. So we are moving in that direction, but it is mm -hmm. it needs to be a lot faster. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, could you maybe maybe say a few words about uh, heat, how heat impacts the body, the body mind um, that we know, and and also not just how heat plays upon the the body and the mind, but also uh, switches on certain kinds of illnesses that that we like you mentioned we some we understand or are beginning to understand some we clearly aren't aren't there yet but i think that's be interesting for folks well, the climate scientists talk about the goldilocks effect right which is we know from biophysical data that the human body can't be too hot or too cold hence the concept of goldilocks right so what we know is that when that comfort zone is abridged because of heat it affects the way that we think, psychological, it affects our moods, it affects our, um, it affects um, reproductive organs, it, re it, it impacts, um, I mean, literally everything, cardiovascular, pulmonary, and these, this solid data on this, right? And so, um, and it doesn't affect all of us equally. That's the real mm. here, in my opinion, which is, Heat affects us all, but it doesn't affect us all equally, right? So people who have underlying conditions, people who are um, living in, in elderly people who don't have resources, poverty, um, people of color are disproportionately impacted. As, as I suggested, in, in as we saw in Europe, I the data doesn't show in the U.S. that women are disproportionately impacted um, per se, but I think that it's because the data is faulty, quite frankly. Um, so it affects every aspect of our body. 
And um, that means that we need to be looking at people in terms of, you know, what is their age? What is their risk factor? Um, what kind of medications are they on, right? What kind of living environments do they have? Those are not typically part of a screening that's done with an HMP. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I recently um, interviewed a nurse and she had been a bedside nurse in a hospital for 15 years. And during COVID had begun to do home care and continued to do that post COVID. And I asked her at the beginning of this summer, um, I said, what are you seeing with your patients? Are you seeing any kind of heat related? And she said, I think that I am, but no, I don't have any support. I don't have any. I said, well, where did you get? Have you ever had training on on heat? And she said, yeah, when I was 16 year old, um, I was a lifeguard at the YMCA. She went through nursing school and had no. And here she was trying to figure out what to do with her patients. And what right. she said to me was really, I think, very, the other aspect of what she said to me was, she said, you know, this would not have been on my radar when I discharged people from the hospital. But when I went into their homes and saw, oh, yeah. they have air conditioning, but they can't afford to use it. Right. right? Um, so those are the kind of questions that need to be part of a screening, right? Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. And so when you have somebody who's had no training, which is the norm, and they're dealing with cases that they haven't seen that's affecting all of the organs of their body, their medication, right? Yeah. Um, that makes the problem even more wicked. Yeah, I I had a I had a response. I started thinking about some of these issues uh, a few years ago, and um, and when we created our uh, extreme heat guide at deceleration, which we're going to have to update after this summer if we understand what the heck just hit us. Um, but one of the things that I, I that I heard people talk about this summer that I had not heard public health folks and and community folks talk about before was the need uh, to for, uh, the the importance of nighttime temperatures and cooling down because I think uh, folks, especially uh, uh, the, the very young and the very old, are, are most susceptible. I think to this, but. And the World Health Organization I saw has long been uh, promoting saying you need to, the body needs to be able to cool down to mid lower 70s, you know, at least every couple of days, get a good chunk of hours uh, to avoid some, you know, some of these uh, uh, heat illness and, and potential heat death, organ failure. Um, and I'd never seen that reported before. So we included that in, in our guide this year. And I think that, yeah, I just feel like the way people have been impacted in this heat, like, we have not even began to understand it because uh, again, I just talked to our neighbors and how they're surviving. And you mentioned, you know, folks have AC, but they can't turn it on or, you know, we're actually being told uh, and, you know, and I support the messaging in part energy conservation, voluntarily dial your thermostat or turn the thermostat up during this, this strain on the grid. Right. And they usually say around like 78. Mm -hmm. So uh, if folks are turning their thermostat up to 78, and not cool, cooling it after midnight or whenever the all clear siren goes off. Um, that's kind of dangerous. Um, I mean, how would you respond to that or recommendation like that? We know that more people die kind of counterintuitive at night from heat related than they do in the day. And most of that has to do with, as you mentioned, the cooling effect, especially in, with the effects of urban heat islands. Right. And I think that I think what you said to me that's most striking is the messaging, you know, the sort of, you know, turn your thoughts and even the public service messaging that we have, it's so generic that it almost is useless. I, I, I see, you know, we tell people stay hydrated, 
when I talk to people, hey, what is that? I'm a medical anthropologist. I know what that looks like. It's not a one size fits all, right? So when I start talking to people about, you know, what does that mean? Stay hydrated. I've had people say to me, well, I just increase, uh, I have extra beer in, in the evening. Okay. That's counted, right? Because what people understand to stay hydrated is, is again, very different than it's not a one size fits all. The same is true. I think with the messaging of lower your thermostat. And by the way, that may not be appropriate for all individuals, depending on what their health risk is. Correct. Um, so I think it's another another one of those issues where we don't have good data at the community level for knowing what needs are. And we definitely don't have good messaging for engaging in public health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm wondering if you have sort of a, there's so many places we can go with this and I want to follow up with you soon. Uh, I know you have worked in the role of, you know, the urban tree canopy and the cooling, you know, uh, contributions of our, our urban forests um we're in a in a protracted fight to save uh a hundred trees in our central park in san antonio it's been a really interesting conversation and i feel like our relationships with trees uh is going to radically change in the next decade or it will need to uh because uh we've overlooked what they really do uh for us and how important our relationship is especially with rising heat and i don't know if you want to say a word about that but i'm really thinking in terms you also mentioned one health you know paradigm uh our relationship to all other species and the environment and all these things we can't understand our health without understanding all these interrelationships um but i wonder if you have kind of like a a, a prescription for what i think about cities because i write a lot about san antonio and i compare san antonio to phoenix and to other places but could be city or county or state government but some maybe even i don't want to maybe low-hanging fruit but easy fixes or places to start to 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 better prepare prepare and protect uh our our neighbors so i think that you know the, the evidence is really clear that trees provide enormous amount of benefit for everything from psychological to health in terms of heat, um, mitigating the urban heat, not just urban, but mitigating heat effects. Um, and I think that you're right. I, I agree with you that the relationship that we have with trees is likely to change, that awareness is, is building. But I would caution, I'm not an urban forester, but I would caution mm. that it's not just a question of planting a whole bunch of trees, they have to be very strategic. I mean, urban yeah. forest is very complex, right? What species should we be treat should we be planting? Who's going to care and water for these plants or the trees rather, right? So right. Um, oftentimes what I hear people say now is, oh, we're just going to plant, you know, a thousand trees. That's a start, but that cannot be an ad hoc decision. It has to be, it's complicated, right? Um, and the other thing I'll say, so, so to finish that thought, I think that when you talk about trees, I, you know, that's a positive trend. I think that there is, again, increased awareness of the benefits that trees bring, and they can be very adaptive for mitigating heat. Even the, more so than tree planting campaigns is protecting existing mature trees, would you say? I, I wouldn't, you know, again, this is outside of my area. Yeah, sure. But I, I would say that, um, you know, some species are vulnerable to um, disease. We're seeing that in several states, including Texas right now. And so I think that you it's you need an expert, you need urban yeah. forest to look and see can these trees be protected 
And if so, what's the cost benefit ratio, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but the other thing to get back to your other point um, that I think, you know, as a medical anthropologist, that's really critical within this context is I'm seeing the emergence of a new paradigm. It's been around for 10 years, but it's gained popularity called One Health. Yeah. I think that's really critical because it seems like a nuance, but it's predicated on the idea that, you know, the human health is related to soil health, related to animal health, related to atmosphere health. It's one health. We are a unified system. We just haven't approached it like that. I mean, indigenous communities did. Native Americans, that's inherent to their mm -hmm. thought process and their worldview. And that got scattered and smashed. And so I think if there's any message in terms of trees and connection with health, that really does need to be at the forefront. This notion of revisioning how we engage with ourselves, other species, um, with this more holistic, integrative framework. I think that's very promising. Mm -hmm. And you'd you'd mentioned at the at the at the presentation at, at your talk in San Marcos and um, that some of the conversations you've had as 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 a researcher, as an anthropologist, as a medical anthropologist, uh, with folks in the medical community had been um, uh, Mm. complicated by concerns of these individuals that you know hey don't put my name on that if you're talking about climate change and, and medicine uh, and research um what i mean i can guess but how did you understand you know i mean we're in a period where a lot of things are being legislated and that's uh our bodies right and uh to start um, women's in particular, I might what's add. that? Yeah. Women's in yes. Women's. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so, yeah, tell me a little bit about what you are hearing from these individuals and what, if this is a trend, I mean, is, is a tr it's, seems to be right around the country. Um, uh, what that may uh, forebode in terms of uh, public health and the these colliding, we'll call them ecological crises? It's um, very worrisome from my perspective because what we are seeing, what I'm seeing, boots on the ground, is an inherent fear for some providers, um, others a concern, maybe more accurate, with publicly advocating for some of these agenda items that we've been talking about, surveillance, screening, um, you know, more education and training. And the reason for that is, of course, as you alluded to, there's a political overtone that is um, breeding that fear. And you'll recall in my presentation that I used the analogy of what was happening with um, women's bodies um, there were a couple of OB-GYN physicians from Louisiana um, that went on record publicly, I think 60 Minutes even carried it recently, that said, we have been told not to show data that is um, that provides information related to disparities within women, women of color. They also were on record as saying, you know, there's fear from my colleagues. And so I use that as an analogy because I see that same fear and that same phenomenon playing out with some of my providers. 
And um, for example, I had a, a, a resident actually recently tell me um, in Texas, you know, she's doing ER was her rotation and she was afraid to ask a woman or if a woman approached her in the ER who had recently had an abortion who had gone to another state, she was not happy about that and fearful because mm -hmm. she knew legally she needed to document that in the patient's chart and then feared what would be the ramifications for her, right? Mm -hmm. Or her patient. So she told me, I just tell patients, don't tell me anything about that. I don't want to know. Is that medicine? Right. That's a political decision. And similarly, I had I was having this conversation exactly with a colleague in Houston. And she said, oh, well, um, I just we we rechange we've rephrased the question when we meet with women. We don't ask them when their last menstrual cycle was. We ask them, are your periods regular? That's a right. different question, a mm -hmm. totally different question, mm -hmm. one of which that can impact your ability as a provider to understand this woman's health conditions. Right. Mm -hmm. And so. I use this as an analogy, again, because I see the same phenomenon playing out. And think about what's happening. Texas is ground zero for equity and heat. We've had mm -hmm. House Bill 2127. We've had the border issue with medics on, on record for withholding water, right? Mm -hmm. That's a basic mm -hmm. human need. I mean, these mm -hmm. are life-threatening conditions. So when you look at the culmination of those um human rights issues mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. could you not how could you expect a provider perhaps not not to be fearful or by contrast to assume a very vocal role in trying to in trying to bring change and i will say that that was one of the reasons that i made the decision to leave the nonprofit that i was at because mm -hmm. i recognized that somebody had to go and have these conversations publicly and I recognize that, you know, that was not going to happen with my physicians, for example. They have tenure. They've got debts to pay off. They have careers and children to take care of. I don't blame them, right? Mm -hmm. I blame the system. So mm -hmm. I think that, um, again, these, these are conversations that we need to have. It's a real fear and a real concern and just another layer for what we're dealing with in terms of the complexity of and its impact on human health. The complexity of you cut out for just a second the complexity of climate crisis yeah. and health. yeah yeah so what you and i've been talking about is we've got these you know data problems significant on their own we've yeah. got fear from our providers significant on their own and then we've got in between mm -hmm. we've got dying and sick people that mm -hmm. we need to help and mm -hmm. so um yeah. So that that's what I think. And it just has not been, you know, I'll, you haven't asked me this question. I just maybe digress a little bit, but bring it in along those lines. Within that context, one of the things and that's one one of the reasons I was you know, eager and happy to speak with you is that if I look at what happened with media this summer and mm -hmm. heat, for the most part, the stories were hypersensation. Sense, hyper with regard to temperatures, right? Mm -hmm. In this record, July is the hottest, right? right? And we are a culture at the risk of being stereotypical that focuses on extremes, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was not the right message that needed to become. Mm -hmm. That was not the important message per se, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And yet, if you look at the, the stories that were being covered, it was by and large 
Look how hot it is. It's getting hotter. What does that mean? There, yeah. and so it's really interesting. I was really happy to see you want to take a deeper dive, right? Mm-hmm. We've lost some of this. But for the most part, the media stayed with these stories. And mm-hmm. the other thing related to that is I've had several um, several press re- reach out to me and say to me, I get what you're saying, Rose. I think it's important. But my editor doesn't think it's a connection. My editor is telling me it's hot. Get over it. That's wow. another. You know, so that's yeah. really disconcerting, right? Um, I, I, have, I have read in the middle of this summer, the, the, you know, uh, some commentary about, you know, how adaptable humans are, and 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 that includes psychologically to new extremes, right? They become normalized, internalized, and digested. And it, it is true that I haven't seen, you know, we, we've been talking about Albert, we've had multiple, we've had a vigil, and then in two actions uh, outside the offices of some of these agencies to draw attention to his case, because, you know, whether, and I doubt we will ever see in, in autopsy, it sound, I mean, it sounds like it's impossible under the current medical examiner and, and, and that uh, regime that we have right now, uh, that we'll see uh, uh, this listed as a heat-related death. Even though, you know, those who lived with him, he died at night, you know, and he was a drug user and they did use drugs that morning, but he died in the night um, uh, quietly, you know, uh, at a very, very hot location under the highway. Um, and 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 even without official documentation, you know, we can talk about. Um, what the experience is for people who live in those, you know, in, in exposed in those conditions. We can talk about and need to be talking about those who are m- most vulnerable and those, you know, whether it's the you know, legacies of redlining or the current kind of like, uh, uh, I call it kind of like a climate apartheid, you know, where we're putting uh, in, in investing in areas for certain people and not for others and things like that. But I wonder um, maybe if there's sort of like a, uh, uh, and, and so I guess what I was going to say related to media, I'm not seeing many people writing about what what the hell just happened, right? To understand the summer in context outside of what you're describing, which is how hot was it? Did it meet this? Was it that many days? How many days was it? Um, <laughs> and I, it feels like kind of like I mean, I I I lived through the heat. Our our main house, it I, we couldn't get it cooler than eighty five during the day. I could close off a bedroom at night and get and get, but I did notice m- my psychology, my life changed based upon kind of like that that background just irritation, um, and so yeah, trying to understand what the heck just happened and how are we going to be ready next time? It feels like people are just ready to get outside and party you know, kind of like a post COVID wave or a, um, after the winter storm or, you know, I think, Oh, I think that there's a media inertia. That's how we describe it. Um, and it's intriguing to me to hear young journalists who very much are interested in, in the space of climate crisis, talk about editors, not thinking that this is a useful utility project topic. Right. That's a that's an issue in itself. The other the other attenuating issue that I might throw in here, Greg, is that in addition to not covering the story, I'm also not seeing dots being connected. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about wicked problems such as heat and climate climate crisis, 
You're talking about multiple dots that need to be connected, silos that need to be broken down, institutional barriers, all of that. But here's a perfect example of um, shocking to me that the media is not on top of this more than they are. So we know that there's a problem in Texas prisons with heat. We know that we've got higher death rates, um, some of which because of the data and all the politics associated with it are still being determined. But the penal system in Texas is on record for saying, yes, we've got higher heat related, higher mortality in general, whatever we contributed to that, higher homicide rates, right? Mm -hmm. And then they closed down all of the prisons two weeks ago, right? right. Attributed it solely to drugs. And by the way, it, would it surprise me that there was increased drug use or increased violence in the cells? I mean, we, we're getting temperatures anywhere from 120 degrees and up. And by the way, that's not being objectively assessed, right? But right. we all agree. So think about that. Those dots are not being connected. I didn't see one challenge in any of the media Hey, what's accounting for that? It was like, oh, they're, the prisoners are being bad. Their drug, their drug use is out of control. We're 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 shut. We're shutting down the whole system. Those dots need to be connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I think that's that's part of the conversation I want to have going forward. And I do want to. I'm gonna I'm gonna step out here, but let's follow up on that point because uh, that's one of the stories that I want to um, to pick up with you. And uh, there's a lot lot to cover and a lot to do and um and hopefully we'll be able to uh expand that's the space to, to make some of those connections looking back over the summer and appreciate you and your work so much and i'm 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 interested in learning more perhaps another call about what the work you're moving into kind of like as a independent consultant nonprofit sounds like yeah that's the plan all right thank you so much um rose and i'll um I'll be I'll be in touch very soon. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us at Deceleration. Uh, we're online at deceleration.news. These podcasts come out somewhat irregularly, but you can find us online any day, anytime. We appreciate any story ideas or tips. You can email us at editor at deceleration.news. Appreciation still out there for uh, George Garza Jr. for this theme music. We will be continuing to follow Extreme Heat, its impact, and how we can best keep each other safe. Take care.